It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Royal Blue Podcast in association with Sport Pacer. I'm Phil Kirkbride, and today joined by Dave Prentice and Adam Jones as we reflect on a pair of home draws, frustrating home draws with Newcastle and Watford. Uh, we reflect and talk about and show over the fact of a very, very controversial back page of the Daily Mail, which hit the stands this morning. And we look ahead to Manchester City and then a little bit of looking ahead to the Spurs game as Everton close out before Christmas with two very important but very difficult matches. Um, Preno, uh, two home games since we last sat around the table, two draws and and a double dose of disappointment. Very, very frustrating uh, as well as disappointing. Um, the Newcastle game, I, I accept that there was uh, a post-Anfield hangover. Um, the players were clearly hurting from that. There was a little bit of, a, well, Jordan Pickford especially with a point to make, which I think he did make that night. Uh, but there was a flatness about the performance. It lacked a, lacked a bit of the usual zip and energy. No real excuses for that against Watford. Um, Everton had had you know, the extra 48 hours to prepare compared to you know, so other clubs over the weekend, as had Watford as well, admittedly. Um, but just couldn't get... Um, any kind of momentum going during the course of the game, you know, to go a goal ahead, you know, so, you know, and look, look in a decent position uh, was all very, very positive, but then just lacked focus. I think it was, that was what Marco said after the game, and he's absolutely right. I mean, it, the, the actual switch off, you know, for the, uh, the goal, the quickly taken free kick was just negligence. It was, you know, so how can you not be, you know, as focused as you should be in that situation? A little bit of bad luck in the one that came off the post, you know, for Coleman. But then again, you know, to switch off again two or three minutes later, it was almost like you know, the, the team was going through the motions for a spell and then tried to you know, get things going again for the last 20 minutes or so. And, you know, I had a little bit of pressure without really creating a great deal. You can't, re- you've got to look at the missed penalty as well. I mean, the timing of that was incredible. You know, if, if that had been 2-2, suddenly there's like a cavalry charge for the last 20 minutes and you probably would have backed there to go on and win. So you can't really underestimate how significant that was as well. But all in all, you know, two very, very winnable games that have gone begging. And it just deflates the place a little bit, especially, you know, in light of the fixtures that are coming up. Adam, I think we discussed this last night after the game on the way back um, to the car. We talked about the two kind of key moments in both those games. One being Jenk Tosin's, you know, shot, which was from close mm-hmm. range, saved by Dubravka mm-hmm. when the game was at one all. And then again, last night it was almost two, wasn't there? There was there was um, Holobas's interception when yeah. Richardson looked like he was going to make it two 0 and then uh, Cathcart's block on Sigurdsson's. Mm. Did you sense that if if it goes two one and then two nil at those those situations, Everton go on to win the game? And do you think, you know, on the flip side, because it it didn't go two one and two nil, there was some. There's, there's a confidence issue, or mm. there was a nervousness crept into the second half performances. Yeah, I completely agree. I think there there is something that seems to be occurring a bit too often with this Everton side, which is a bit worrying that if they don't score that second goal, I don't want to call it a panic, but there there is something that seems to set in. 
especially with the the front four the way they're playing at the minute it they just they do i think it's right you what you said they do just seem to lose that little bit of confidence you know especially last night you think for the first 20 25 minutes like we were sat there thinking this is the best this front four have played in a good long while you know the fluidity especially down the left hand side mm. i thought bernard was playing very well sigurdsson was playing a few really nice balls that perhaps weren't coming off all the time but they looked like they were getting to be really dangerous and then since that since that uh I'd probably say that interception from Hollabas that mm. Watford seemed to gain all the momentum from that and you know, it's, it, it, it is really just a shame to see that this Everton side can seem to lose any sort of confidence that quickly and you go into the second half and we can say that it was bad luck maybe that Seamus Coleman's conceded that own goal yeah. but Nobody inside Goodison was arguing that Watford has equalised there. No, it was coming, wasn't it? Well, exactly. That was, that was the phrase that everyone probably said to yeah. their mates when they were watching. You know, that that was coming. And then even the goal a few minutes later, it's, as Preno said, it's just brain dead, really, to mm. just completely fall asleep on a quick free kick. You know, mul- multiple mm. players just completely lose focus. Dean loses focus. Coleman, uh, Idrissa Gay loses his man. You know, it's, it's, it's unforgivable, really, especially at home. And, you know, there's all right to fight back in the end, but as Preno said, they didn't really create mm. too many clear-cut chances. Obviously, there was the penalty and then the free kick, which led to the goal. But, you know, there, there is something that's concerning me a little bit, especially with the way these two second-half performances have gone recently. I just wonder whether the squad strength generally is there yet. I never spoken before about how pleased we are that, you know, Luckman's pushing Walcott, that we've got three, you know, sort of top-quality centre-halves to choose from. But, for me, there's like a massive urban reliance on Richarlison and Sigurdsson for goals. Um, if they're not scoring, you know, Bernard doesn't look like scoring. Walcott doesn't score as many as he should do. And the goals just simply don't come anywhere else in the team. So it, it's very you know, heavily reliant on those two. And when you've got such a glut of fixtures like Everton have at the moment, you get that first choice team out there like Everton did at Anfield. And they put in a great performance and, you know, very, very unfortunate to be beaten the way they do. But then those same 11 players aren't really capable of putting again a performance as good as that together only three or four days later you know because they just haven't got the required intensity um marco tried to rotate the squad as much as he could by making three changes but the three players that he brought in just don't look like you know they're quite well they're not as good as the players you're replacing tosin doesn't look quite quite good enough i'd argue i'd argue care to zoom is probably well yeah okay you know defensively but yeah i mean that was an issue last night i mean mina you know, probably had his, his ropiest game, you know, so mm. since he came in. But, you know, Luckman, for me, only ever does it as an impact sub. He's not doing it from the start on you know, the occasions he's, he's being given, you know, starts. Okay, you know, rare though it happens. Tosin isn't good enough. Uh, you know, he's not as good as the players, you know, so he's replacing in the front three. And, you know, likewise in the midfield, if you brought Morgan Schneidlin in, would you think you'd get an improvement in that? You probably wouldn't, would you? So, you know, squad depth maybe isn't quite as you know strong as it should be either. Uh, Bainsey and Kenny, you know, aren't actually getting a look in at the moment because you know Coleman and Dina are clearly superior players at the moment. But are they capable of doing it every three or four days? Probably not. So I think there's a, a squad depth issue there as well. Well, on that, Preno, since the Crystal Palace game on or October the 21st, Everton have only used 16 different players, and that's mm-hmm. 15 if you take away Jags's cameo at Chelsea. Yeah. And what I was saying last night in my stuff and discussing uh, in the press box after the game was. I can't remember really too many times in that period, other than perhaps the Crystal Palace game itself, when the subs have actually made an impact. And Luckman had obviously done enough to get a place, but then drops back out. 
comes on last night doesn't make an impact. Calvert-Lewin, Tosin, a lot of hard work for 15 or 20 minutes, but no discernible difference was was made in their introduction. Yeah. Do you think that actually we're now stripping away, you know, we're coming into a really kind of the nitty gritty of the season, you know, a, a typically busy period. Do you think that, or have you got any concerns that if the 11 aren't f- firing, but what a better phrase, we are potentially a bit knackered, you know, in, in many respects. Well, yeah, I do have concerns. I don't think the, uh, like I said, that the depth of quality uh, is, is quite right at the moment for a team that, you know, ought to be challenging for the top six. You know, that's starting 11. You know, if you're playing on a Saturday, then the following Saturday, then the following Saturday, Very good, you could yeah. probably get some really good results yeah, and, you know, yeah. sort of put teams to the sword. Uh, but, you know, every three or four days, that's asking an awful lot of those players. I mean, Gomez took a heavy bang last night by the look of it. Mm. And, you know, will he be okay for the weekend? You don't know. Uh, players that are going to come in can't have anything like the same impact that he would be having. So it does concern me a little bit. I mean, apart from the fact that those next two fixtures that are coming up are so tough anyway, uh, but that will take an awful lot out of the squad, as you know the performance at Anfield did, which means that when the games that you know come up, you know thick and fast after that, which are potentially winnable games, you know Burnley, Brighton, as as the squad got the, uh, mm. I don't know the uh, the wherewithal to produce performance good enough to get results down there, I'm not so sure it has at the moment. It, it's a concern, yeah. Because Adam uh, Pep Guardiola today is pre Champions League press conference was moaning the fact that they've only got 15 fit players now. Mm. <laughs> 15 fit players at City are bloody good players, yeah, but yeah. even he's moaning about mm. only having 15 players. Marco, effectively, he's only using I was, 15. I was going to say, we, we might as well only have 15 players. Well, that's fit what I'm players. saying. There's, there's, there's a clear sign, isn't there? You know, we, we go through the list of players who aren't even in the squad. Mm. Holgate, Jagielka, McCarthy, Schneidlin obviously had a little injury recently. Mm. Um, Nias. Dowell, Nias, Kenny. Yeah. Um, people on the bench who haven't had a look in for weeks, Davis, Davis Bainesy. <laughs> Etc. Yeah. It's the same subs again, isn't it? It's like a f- three or four people on the rotation. Yeah. So if Guardiola with with the best squad in the Premier League is moaning about fifteen players, is is what we've just spoke about a symbol of actually everybody? Let's get perspective. This is actually this squad build is actually going to take a long long time or a longer time perhaps than we had maybe a few weeks ago thought. Yeah, I think the the Christmas period was always going to bring these sort of. Problem, problems right to the to the surface, weren't they? I think Guardiola's maybe just trying to play down like his his team's chances. You know, as as we mentioned just before the pod, you know, Aguero and De Bruyne are in training despite them. But him saying they're not going to play tomorrow night. Exactly, but we're seeing training. So, so probably, <laughs> that means they're probably playing. Saturday, it's a scary know? thought to think that they might actually be in in the squad on Saturday. But yeah, just looking at Everton's squad, I, I I would really worry. I'd be worried if I was a player. You know, like Tom Davis, because you know you you look at yesterday's game, and rather than bringing Tom Davis on, Marco Silva's opting to play Gilfie Sigurdsson in that like mm. bit of a deeper role in the midfield, which is think usually. That was a pu- think that was a, sorry, mate. Do you think that was a purely? We've got to go for this attacking decision in terms but of I need to keep him on the pitch. I, th- I think the problem is though, Marco. What Marco Silva seems to be doing is he he makes these attacking changes, and he seems to lose all sort of balance. You know. You're taking Gay off, and you're bringing. Did you bring on Calvert Lewin for Gay? I think that could have been the switch. Yeah, and you, you're instantly going to lose balance whenever you do something like that. At that, that point in the game against Watford, in the game that he's probably thinking we can't afford to lose, is he not right to gamble? I, I'd still think an attack and change in the sense of bringing maybe Davis on for Gay would be better. Right. Because in in that in that sense, we keep the same sort of balance, mm. and we can we still have the same system that we were that was breaking down Wofford at the start of the game. Mm. We've just got 
more attacking players. You know, Davis is going to be able to pick out a pass yeah. much better than just a guy. And, and would you argue on that as well that actually you didn't, Marco probably didn't need to bring on both Tosin and Calvert-Lewin yeah. because both, with great respect, didn't really do a great deal. Yeah, they were trying. They were trying to do essentially the exact same job, mm. just run about a bit and try and find a cha- a chance inside the box. You know, I, I just think Davis with a bit more guile in the midfield. You know, a bit more passing, uh, passing ability, a bit more energy. I think he 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 just would have been the better switch. But obviously, Marco Silva's looking at his bench and he he must be thinking to himself, "Well, I've got." my three options here. I've got Luckman, Tosin and Calvert-Lewin, which, I don't know, it concerns me a little bit, definitely. Mm. Moving on then, um, not long after we'd all left Goodison uh, last night, uh, obviously, I'm sure you're aware, the, uh, the back, tomorrow's back pages always drop online, um, sort of half 10, 11 o'clock, don't they, on the previous night, and obviously the one that caught everybody's attention and everybody was talking about was the back page of the Daily Mail, Um an image from the game against Watford featured Isaac's success um, up against the sort of near the, the, the advertising hoardings in front of what would believe was the Gladys Street, although, you know, that's not been confirmed. Uh, and a picture of a couple of uh, two or three Everton fans, you know, shouting at him. Um, it's caused quite a stir, Preno. Um, given the current climate, it's been interpreted by pretty much every Evertonian in the same way. Um, although obviously we have to make it clear that no reference to racism or racist uh, remarks was was in the in the copy or, or referenced, but that's the reading between the lines. That's what people have, have a conclusion they have drawn. Um, <clears throat> has it been uh, an irresponsible back page by the Daily Mail given the current climate? I think it was a very calculated back page. Um, the word that jumped to mind when I saw it was sinister. Uh, I just thought there's a clear inference. So you don't need to read too closely between the lines to suggest that, you know, there is an implication that there's a racist element uh, to the fans' reactions. The fans are clearly pointing at their hands. You know, they're clearly trying to suggest to Isaac's success that he's handled the ball. But, you know, the actual intro to the story says, on the day Chelsea suspended four fans for their abuse of England forward Raheem Sterling. Now, they have been accused of racist abuse. Yes. Not being convicted yet, but, you know, they have been accused of that. And, you know, they've been banned from the ground. As and no result. such accusations at the time of no. recording this podcast have been levelled at anybody at Everton, no Evertonians, so there's no suggestion. No, not whatsoever. But yeah. the very next paragraph, as Everton and Watford drew 2-2, visiting forward Isaac's success was subjected to aggressive behaviour by local supporters. By putting two paragraphs in such close juxtaposition, it does suggest that there's a racist element to it. You're right, there's, there's no you know, actual wording in there to say that those fans were guilty of racism. Otherwise, the paper would be facing a libel charge, I suspect, yes. in some of those individuals. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, they, they could possibly still have a case, you know, so who knows? Because uh, you can infer that somebody was behaving like a racist, which to me, that's what that appears to do. Uh, the blurb underneath, Martin Samuel, how can play, uh, now can players stop this? Mm. Um, you know, which again is Martin Samuel, you know, arguing quite articulately about, um, you know, the, the problem of racism uh, in the game. It's quite coincidental, is it, or ironic even, that, you know, it's the same newspaper that Raheem Sterling actually accused of double standards uh, when he actually put the two uh, back pages or the two stories back to back in their treatment of Phil Foden and their treatment of a black Manchester City player yes. for, for buying properties. Yeah, yeah. And he says they're treated very, very differently. So, you know, for the same newspaper again, you know, to put a back page as emotive as that together, I thought was at the very, very best unfair. But I go back to the earlier word, sinister. Mm. I, I thought it does for me, you know, so I think there's an inference that Everton fans were behaving, you know, 
in a racist fashion towards Isaac's success, and there's uh, absolutely no evidence of that having absolutely. happened yet. And uh, as far as I'm aware, Isaac's success is not commented yes. or not, not suggested to anybody that he if was the, the victim yeah, of you that. Would, you would have fully expected that if, the, if Isaac's success had felt he'd been the victim of such such abuse that would have been reported instantly, as is, is the case in these situations. Mm-hmm. But as, mm-hmm. as we understand it, that's not happened. And as you say, there's no evidence whatsoever to suggest those Everton fans were, were acting in that way at all, other than the usual, yeah. you know, the usual it's, stuff that happens at every ground, every football match around the country, every weekend when fans and passion and, and you know, they just, yeah. you know, it, you, you want fans overcrossing the line. You, you want fans to be passionate and you want fans to make life uncomfortable for visiting footballers, you know, so that's what, you know, it's called, you know, the 12th man, you know, mm. for a reason, because they do influence football matches. You don't want to see scenes like we saw last season against Leon, you know, so where fans holding small children are running to the front to, you know, so shout abuse at French footballers. Uh, but you want players, you know, to, to get behind their own team and, and to make life uncomfortable for visiting uh, players, but not uh, in a way that, you know, crosses a line. Um, <coughs> those Chelsea supporters at the weekend, regardless of whether they were guilty of uh, racism or not, clearly, you know, crossed the line. I mean, it looked absolutely horrendous, you know, so what they were shouting at Raheem Sterling for absolutely no justification whatsoever for having, you know, so the temerity to go and pick up a ball quite mm, close mm. to them. And these were like, you know, so quite senior fellas. Mm. Uh, it was just like bizarre. So to, to try and link that to what was going on at Goodison last night, I don't know which incident it was, uh, but it appeared to be uh, a handball incident that they were complaining about and they were accused in success of handling the ball. Uh, we don't know, you know, so when that picture was taken, so we don't know for sure. But equally, there were also complaints from the Everson supporters that Isaac's success had been diving during the game and uh, Kevin Friend was allowing him to get away with this. So it could have been that, we don't know. But to me, there's, there's an inference of racist behaviour there and I think that's grossly unfair at, at the very best. Mm. Yeah. Adam, uh, you seem to have a better handle or uh, certainly a better kind of understanding, as you like, of what the incident, the the events that led up to that image mm. in terms of, you think... As as, I, see, I seem to remember that there was a ball that Isaac's success tried to control and it looked like it came off his hand, but the referee didn't give anything and the ball ended up running mm. out of play. And I think that's where the incident stems from because I, I can see there's a couple, uh, in, the, in the image, there's a couple of, Fellas pointing to pointing to their arms. I don't, I don't think even a few of the fellas. I think there's one one man, particularly central to the to the whole thing, and he seems to be looking behind success. So right, yeah. that would suggest to me that he's looking towards the referee rather than looking at the actual player himself. And it just, like as Prano said, it just came at a point in the first half where the crowd was starting to turn a bit on Kevin Friend because you know he was. He was letting a lot of things go. It like seems to be, game. yeah, like he seems to be letting a lot of things go. Like Richarlison got a really good couple of knocks in midair, just whereas to the Watford players at the other end of the pitch were just getting free kicks for mm. essentially nothing. And then, you know, Kevin Friends eventually would then miss what looked like it could have been a potential second yellow card for Yeri Mina. So you know, he didn't win any friends on either side of the pitch that, that uh, last night. But yeah, it, it just. I can only agree with what Preno said there. I think the inference the, the the that that back page creates is just absolutely diabolical, to be honest. And I think it it is sinister. I think Preno's described it perfectly. And Preno's, you say, mate, as well. If you're th- those, I think there's there's three sort of very visible supporters. Mm. If you're waking, or you're one of those three fellas, and you're waking up to this morning and thinking, my God. what? How on earth have I been dragged into this? I've been mm. right down to my local solicitor's office and you know, sort of explain, you know, so have I got a case here? Because, you know, I believe that I'm being accused of something I haven't done. Uh, you know, the, 
the male mice have been very, very clever in the, uh, the wording that they used and the uh, the headline that they chose, you know, so not not a nice welcome. Whatever Warm welcome, was, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so, you know, the, the mice have just about, you know, strayed this side of, of the legal line. Um, but it's just the collateral damage it creates. I remember, oh gosh, a long, long time ago, you know, so when uh, the Sun newspaper wrote what it wrote about Hillsborough and uh, Mike Ellis, who was then the... Um, the local reporter on the patch actually offering his resignation. Uh, mm. He had nothing whatsoever to do with this, uh, but he felt he'd been placed in such an invidious position. Uh, Liverpool talked him out of it. Liverpool Football Club and said nothing to do with you, Mike. You know, we, we know you know you've been dealing with us for donkey's years. So I'm just thinking again, Dominic King, who's uh, you know the Mail's local reporter, who's a, a pal of ours, he's worked at the Echo. Uh, he's now placed in a very very uncomfortable position, uh, and absolutely nothing of his making at all. You know, he's a decent guy, Dominic. He's very highly thought of by Everton. Uh, yeah, he suddenly finds his newspaper, you know, sort of dragging Evertonians into a row, you know, so none of his making. So an awful lot of people are going to suffer as a result of this. And I just think at the very the very you know, best, it's unfair, but, you know, worst, it's it's quite sinister. I think for me, it just belittles what is really an important issue. Yeah, and absolutely. I think Raheem Sterling deserves all the credit in the world for coming out and doing what he's done. And I think it's, in general, like without aside from this back page, I think it's really good that the football world is still three days later talking about this issue because often often things like this just tend to get shoved under the carpet, something like that, and it, it's just not been the case this time round. And I think it's really, really important that Sterling's come out and done what he's done. But you know, if if like if the male's interpretation of this is sinister, then it's just massively belittling what an, an amazing thing that. A young black player has come out and done like it's just, it's just dreadful in my opinion. I don't know you won't have seen it because uh, you were inside the stadium at the time. But uh, Gary Neville and Jamie Carragher on Monday Night Football were discussing mm. the issue, and again, you know, it, it forced them to bear their souls a little bit. Mm. Uh, Gary Neville talked about uh, how he responded uh, to Raheem Sterling coming to see him as an England coach. Um, during the European Championships and how he felt uncomfortable and he said he doesn't feel like he handled it as well as he should have done you know his immediate you know sort of protective uh, barriers came up you know so how can I make sure that he's still okay to play for the team you know rather than actually trying to address the issue and help the player out Jamie Carragher talked about him as a person and basically you know that he didn't really have you know sort of that much of a relationship with him at Liverpool because he was such a quiet lad but he did say that you know he, despite what some newspapers claim about him being brash and mm. being, you know, sort of a, a little bit, you know, sort of ideas above his station. He says you couldn't meet a more humble lad that, you know, sort of never actually went out partying. He was just like a very down-to-earth focused footballer that just wanted to, you know, sort of better himself. But the incident actually forced those two individuals to, you know, sort of bear their souls a little bit and come out of their shell and try and adjust the situation. So, you know, he has made it into an issue which hopefully will have lasting good, you know, eventually. Yeah. Um, just before we move on from the issue, at the time of recording this podcast, um, we have not been able to get in contact with Everton yet. Um, but Prenner, would you, what would you expect the club's move would be? Over the males back Yes, page. yeah, yeah. <coughs> I, I think they're in a very difficult situation because they don't know the actual incident. You know, so when it happened, how it happened. Uh, I think they will wait to see whether there are any complaints, you know, from those supporters concerned, you know, so whether they directly contact the club and ask them you know to take action then i think they would need to mount an investigation <coughs> and they would need to take comments you know so possibly from isaac's success himself you know so to see whether he feels he was the victim of anything and then take it from there we can't you know just presuppose what's gone on you know because you know something might have happened that we haven't seen we yes. don't know 
Uh, but you know, there's certainly a case for Everson at the very least to demand an explanation or not, not a retraction, you know, so but just you know, so put the record straight, you know, so newspapers are very, very low to apologize uh, for, mm. for perceived slights nowadays unless they're absolutely, you know, so proven to have, to have done wrong. But you know, for an Everson, Everson supporters to not accused, but you know, so to have been inferred to have been involved in something, you know, so quite, quite horrendous. Uh, there's certainly something for the club to look into at the very least. Mm. Mm. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. So we will move on uh, for the final part of this podcast and look ahead uh, to the trip to the Etihad on Saturday. Uh, Premier League champions Manchester City host the Blues in the early kickoff. Um, is this a case of beware the wounded animal, Adam? Uh, yeah, <laughs> I think maybe it's nice that they've got a Champions League game in midweek because that that'll maybe get the get it out of their system. You know this this need for a reaction yeah. after after the Chelsea game, but it it it, it might not in the in the same sense. Obviously, they're going to be gunning for the league this season once again. Pep Guardiola is not going to. Let up, let up in any sort of sense. They're already through in the Champions League. You know, you might rest a few players tonight. Obviously, at the time of recording, like we don't know whether he's rested players or not. But yeah, I think Everton have got they've got to be quite concerned about about Man City. I think even even before the Chelsea game, you know that Watford performance. You know they were so so good in that first half, but they let it slip a bit. Let Watford back into it, and it was nervy for those last few minutes mm. for that for that two one. Pep wouldn't have been happy with that, and then to then go and lose to Chelsea at Stamford Bridge, he'll be absolutely livid. Like, I think the Everton match at all. Like, I know he'll say, "Oh, Hoffenheim's the only thing on my mind." The Everton, he'll already be planning for the Everton match. Yes, right now, of course, he'll have watched what happened with Everton on Monday night against Watford. <laughs> it it's always going to be a difficult game going to Man City, and. I, th- I I only think a defeat against Chelsea is going to make it a little bit worse, but mm. at, at, the, at the same time, Everton are going to need a sort of reaction as well. Marco Silva needs to be pummeling into his players this week. Look, get that get that derby defeat out of the minds because as much as he says it's not in the heads, I think it might still it might still be you know that that sort of disappointment just seems to be lingering around the club. I think he needs to try and quash that as much as possible in training this week and just. Absolutely, go at Man City. You know, try and try and put in a similar sort of display as they they put in yes. at Stamford Bridge, and you know, who knows, like could come out with a good 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 result. Mm. You know, but you know, it it is going to be difficult. There's there's no doubt about that. Bruno, if the expectancy was for maximum points from games at home with, with Newcastle and Watford, what's your expectancy from games at City and at home to Spurs? Um. I, th- I think anything that we take from either game can be seen as as a positive. Uh, City's a weird one because of all the teams in the top four, they're the one team that Everson seems to have the best success mm. against. And I can't explain why. Um, okay, if we accept that Liverpool, according to the Premier League table, are the best side in the country at the moment. Yeah. Um, Everson went to Anfield recently and, and came so close to getting a much-deserved result. So they're capable of doing that. 
and they have actually done it at Man City over the last couple of seasons. I mean, okay, Court City at a very good time, you know, very, very early on last season. Uh, but, you know, got a draw, which was absolutely deserved at the time. Could have won. Yeah, well, yeah, it was absolutely. Previous season, okay, got absolutely taken to pieces and got a draw. Uh, you know, <laughs> so Martin Stacklenberg saved two penalties, yeah. you know. Um, but there have been other games as well in the recent past. I mean, the 4-0 hiding of Pep Guardiola's team at Goodison. So for some reason, City seems to be a completely different you know, sort of beast when they're talking top four teams. And for some reason, Everton have had better fortunes against them. So that's in the back of my mind. But, you know, totally endorse what Adam says there about, um, you know, it's only going to be much, more, much harder as a result of the experience that they suffered at Chelsea. Tottenham, they're flying at the moment. They're mm. looking like a really, really good team, you know, easily the third best team in the Premier League but it's a Goodison and it's a Sunday before Christmas you know the atmosphere four o'clock on a Sunday is going to be absolutely you know sort of really really raucous that day so I don't know a really good performance similar to the performance that was put in at Anfield could you know sort of get a result that day so you know best case scenario you'd think wow we have four points that'd be absolutely magnificent <laughs> but you know I'm being realistic you know so just avoiding defeat in both games I, I think would be decent it wouldn't quite gloss over the frustration of not taking three points from Newcastle three points from Watford because that makes such a massive difference you know compared to drawing games uh, but both going to be very very tough mm. you know so I, just avoiding defeat in both games I think could be you know so a real result you know so to give a little bit of confidence to go into what you would perceive then are, you know more winnable games you know so coming up over Christmas uh, quick quiz at current rate of games and points uh, accrued uh, Everton are on course for 57 points by the end of the season. Where would that, based on last season's league table, see us finish? <laughs> Pretty much where we Se- are now, seventh. I'd say. Seventh, seventh yeah. absolutely. Yeah. And is that maybe perhaps indicative of, actually, seventh is probably, you know, we'd like to think we could push for six, but seventh mm. is probably, in Marco Silva's first season, a positive step? Yeah, give it, given what we were talking about before mm. with, like, the actual depth of our squads, you know, really coming to light over this Christmas period. I think that's got to be seen as a positive step. You know, we're playing so much better football this season. It's so much more direct. It's so much more energetic. In one. Yeah, yeah so, much, football, so much more defensively solid. You know, yeah. the fans who I talk to before every match are actually enjo- like enjoying the fact that mm. they're about to go to Goodison every week. You know, that certainly wasn't the case for a lot of last season. You know, we all know, knew the atmosphere last season was pretty toxic at times and it's just not been the case this season I think probably the Crystal Palace game is probably still my biggest um, my biggest uh, reason for change if you if you like in that sense like it could have could have turned toxic that game yeah, it just, yeah. just absolutely didn't like it completely went the other way and I think that's the kind of attitude that Marco Silva and Marcel Brands and all of the staff uh, Denise Barrett Baxendale as well you know all the stadium stuff you know there's just there's just a lot of positivity around Everton at the minute and I think that you've got to take all of that into account and you know it it was never going to change after just one transfer window it's probably not going to change after the January transfer window either you know this is this is still a major project and I think seventh at the end of the season if we get a good another good cup run under our belts as well I think that's that's absolutely perfect in my opinion uh, just before I finish, Adam's excluded from this quiz because you wrote the story this morning. <laughs> oh. Now, forgive me if you... I hope you haven't read it because I'm going to put you on the spot. Luca Dean last night became the first Everton player to score directly from a free kick since who and when? Oh, God. Leighton Baines? Um, no. No. Oh, gosh. Uh, I'll give you a clue. It was over 800 days ago. 801 800 days, days so ago. So we're talking, what, two and a half years? Um, 
Did we let Kevin Morales or Romelu Lukaku loose on a oh, free kick? Yeah. Oh. Romelu. Romelu. I've got like a sneaky feeling of a left foot bender. Into yeah, the, yeah, know, yeah. Down the park end. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Oh, oh. Um, <laughs> he's getting there. He's, he's slowly. The archives in his head <laughs> there. See the gears oh, going. He's, he's thinking, if I was at my desk, I'd have that compendium, <laughs> oh. I tell you. No. I've, Chris, I, Crystal I, Palace at home, wasn't it, Adam? Yes. Yeah. Crystal Palace at home, Se- September 2016. That's a great quiz question. Yeah. yeah. No, I, w- I wouldn't have got Incredible. Late, well, I didn't Leighton Baines' last yeah. free kick goal. When was it? Can't be Oh yes, it is West Ham. Really? It's double against West Ham. That oh, was wow. they they were his last 2013. They were his last free kick goals for Everton. When mm-hmm. you consider sorry, and we will we will wrap up after this, but when you consider the quality of free kick takers we've got at the club, yeah. Bainesy, Sigurdsson, you know, we've had Rum, of course, and as you mentioned, Morales could score. That is that is shocking. Barkley scored a few since then. Of course, got one Delphi, Swansea. Delphi, got one against Reading. In the cup, yeah. yeah. Barkley scored against Yeovil uh, in yeah, the cup as well. 800 days, I mean, that's... It is a long time, it's yeah, ridiculous. given the set pieces are so important in modern football. And Everton have got this mad statistic this season, forcing more corners than anybody else in the Premier League. And he scored from one and So, yeah, if we, could, if we could avoid the first man a bit more frequently, you know, so there'd be half a chance. If we scored from a couple, Newcastle obviously came from a corner. Mm. Any, uh, any, any decision for Marco to make over the penalty taker? 100%, yeah. Sigurdsson's just, he's missed two now. He missed one in the World Cup last summer. Uh, if Cheng Tosin had been on the pitch, I think he would have taken it. But he isn't. And I was thinking last night, you know, who else do you, do you get to step forward? You know, if Luka that D. regular starting line, does he take penalties, does he? Yeah. <laughs> I'll put, I'll put yeah. him on them. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I hate penalty takers that go down the middle. I just don't like that at all. I'd much rather you choose a corner and go for mm. it. Uh, it's just leaving too much to chance. If you're going to go down the middle, you need to get elevation on your shot. And that, you run the risk then of doing what you did in the World Cup and hitting the crossbar yeah. or, you know, yeah. sort of going over yeah. the bar. Uh, you know it, the penalties that you scores on at Old Trafford, great, but you know it just that, that's two misses now. So yeah, I do think we need to change. The, the, the only other one is Richarlison, then it, it, and then of course, you, you so look at his one against Southampton. Yeah, no, we're not exactly blessed. Whereas in the past, we've had you know a number of penalties. He's on the, he's he's on the bench, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. Mr. Baines. But yeah. there we go. Uh, thank you very much for listening, uh, everybody. Uh, and thank you very much for Preno and Adam. Really enjoyed the chat. Um, we will sit around the table again at the end of the week uh, and probably. Speak more in depth about Man City and reflect on Marco Silva's press conference and probably the team news, hopefully some positive news about Gomez and, 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 and Guy, potentially. Um, but thank you very much for listening to this latest edition of the Royal Boot Podcast. Remember, you can subscribe and rate and, and, and comment about our podcast on uh, iTunes and Acast, so please do that. This has been the Royal Blue Podcast in association with Sport Pacer. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.